Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Racial tensions in the country are high. Should we consider changing the names of military bases that were named after Confederate generals? That's what we're talking about on this episode of Act 3. Uh, This is Abby Bennett. I am the Capitol Hill and VA reporter for Connecting Vets. This is Phil Briggs. I host CBS Eye on Veterans. I do dishes and laundry. Perfect. Uh, This is the one man in America that does dishes and laundry. The question is, does he do them at the same time? Which I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Folks, this week has been a calmer week in its own way from the last month. It seems like we went through some really like we went through two weeks of just like racial tensions and riots and it's it's kind of i don't want to say it's died down a little it's definitely calmed down i think we we've kind of entered more of a protest phase they're still happening i know they had some protest in richmond uh from the veteran side we've also seen a lot of folks that have come out of the woodwork to to talk about their side politically whether it's left or the right uh both of you are well connected in the social media sphere how have you been handling the very stark politicization, if you will, of George Floyd's death. So in the last couple of weeks, we've seen some military leaders and and veteran leaders come out and really uh, take their stance on the issue. We've had those that have come out against, you know, monument tagging and things like that. We've had those that have spoken out specifically about racial injustices. We've had those that have specifically said the phrase Black Lives Matter. Um, And we've also had military leaders come out about the politicization of the military itself, um, but also the military's role when it comes to civil unrest. Obviously, that really came to a head in D.C., but also in other areas where, you know, we've had the National Guard activated for missions that maybe this generation of Guard is not familiar with or used to, certainly. You know, it's really different to go from, you know, humanitarian efforts for for hurricanes and wildfires and earthquakes to suddenly, you know, trying to walk the streets of maybe your own hometown um, and stand on the other side of a line against, you know, your neighbors and in some cases, even your family members. So there's been a lot of sort of division, I think, but there's also been an enormous amount of support that I've seen on social. A lot of military leaders, maybe you wouldn't expect to speak about things like this. Obviously having someone like former Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis come out 
and talk about how he feels about the situation was a huge deal. Um, and so I think everybody feels a little bit differently about those statements. And, you know, that's what's great about this country is that everybody can feel differently about it and those opinions online or, or wherever they choose to um, and have those difficult conversations and, and really sort of start that dialogue. And, you know, yeah, it, it gets ugly and uncomfortable, but I think that that's something that we're we're starting to recognize more and more that it's important for us to get through that ugliness and, and discomfort and get it sort of the root of some of these issues. And I think the veteran community and the military community have, have begun to do that in the last few weeks. Phil, you and I have had uh, very in-depth discussions before this whole COVID thing took us out of being in the same workplace. Uh, we used to talk a lot about politics. We talk about the racial divide that kind of exists inside of our political spectrum. It seems like people of color kind of side with one end of the political spectrum uh, more than the other. Since this, since BLM has really taken off due to the George, Ford, uh, George Floyd death, um, have what's your perspective? Has it changed? Has it become different? Uh, where, where do you sit on some of these issues we had talked about before? Yeah, um, fascinating and sad kind of at the same time. Um, I'll start by saying it's a rough week to be a statue. I mean, if you're a bronze statue from the South, I mean, <clears throat> you're getting graffitied, you're getting torn down, you're going to get thrown into a river somewhere, defiled, defaced. It's it's not good. And um, we're seeing all that bubble up because of, you know, the aforementioned unrest. I don't know. I don't know what to think. I mean, I know we need to get past racism. I know that's uncool and is never good and has probably been under the surface. Uh, hell, since South Central, you know, the early 90s um, and the whole Rodney King, uh, you know, episode. I think it's always been there. I think we have to learn to deal with it, but because we don't know how to deal with it and we've got layers upon layers upon layers of societal things built, we're trying to unbuild stuff. We're trying to deconstruct things. We're taking down statues. We're changing the names of syrup. I don't even know if Aunt Jemima wanted to retire, but she's gone. Um, Uncle Ben, you're on notice, buddy. I think you're next. Um, we're doing all these little itty bitty things that seem to be reactive and seem to be trying to make the world a better place. We don't have a destination to where we need to go other than equality. And because that's rather ambiguous, it's a tough one to get to. I spent the last two weeks on CBSI and veterans talking with my friends that just happen to be black guys. And, you know, we kind of had it out. My latest, my latest episode, <clears throat> little plug for the Connecting Vets Report podcast, available everywhere you get podcasts. Um, I titled it From Injustice to the N-Word. We don't know what to do with any of these things. We don't know how to get rid of them. We don't know how to change them. We don't know whether to defund the police or, you know, um, get rid of every bronze statue. So I just ask each week, through the eyes of a veteran, what do you think? And I'm well, learning I quite a lot. And I'm learning that there is no single answer and the best thing I heard was from NBA legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who said racism is dust in the air. You can't always see it until the light hits it. And hopefully through everything people are doing and demanding and fighting for, we're shining that light. And those little instances of racism will eventually get erased 
and we can get to a place where people feel validated, good, and that, you know, um, you know, S doesn't need to go down every week and S doesn't need to burn. I think that one of the things we're missing in this whole thing, in this whole discussion about race in this country is that there's no real leadership uh, coming from BLM. There's no, uh, there's no identifiable person to say, this person is leading this movement to this objective. Uh, and, you know, during the civil rights movement, they had Martin Luther King, they had Malcolm X. Uh, there are a lot of other uh, race, uh, 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 equality leaders who have been kind of lost to history. We don't know their names. We, we focus on MLK and, and X because they're the ones they made movies about, let's be honest. I mean, they're the ones that kind of made it, they, they bubbled up past the pop culture and they didn't get lost to history. Uh, to your point, Phil, there's really no one leading the charge to say, this is our goal, this is what we're doing, this is what we're fighting for. Uh, it seems like every time they, and by they I mean the media, every time the media goes to cover these stories, it's like guy on the street, Tell us what, what is BLM? What, what does it mean to you? Well, it means that to that guy, but it, there's no feeling of a universal or, or a organized movement. Uh, it, Abby, is that a fair assessment? Am I missing something on that? Um, I, I think it's fair just because I think this has always been much more of a grassroots movement, much more of a community-based movement. You know, yes, there's this national unification when we have tragedies, like especially the videotaped death of someone like George Floyd that is such a horrifying tragedy that it unifies everyone. And so you start seeing, you know, while it feels like a national movement and it is happening at the same time because it's triggered by the same event, these are community organized protests. These are based on community branches of Black Lives Matter. This is, you know, church groups. These are community organized groups that are dealing with civil rights violations in their communities, in their cities, in their states. Um, and we're sort of seeing them unified by a common cause now. So that doesn't mean that there are not national leaders of movements like this. That doesn't mean that national leaders won't, you know, rise from movements like this. But certainly when you are out reporting on protests, you're not typically going to run into a leader of a particular, you know, protest or event like that. Because it's one of those things, especially now in the, in the age of social media and the internet, it's so easy to put the word out, hey, we want to go and demonstrate, we want to go protest, we want to meet here, and then people just show up, and it's a very sort of organic type thing. Whether that's right or wrong, or whether that's the most effective way to communicate that message is totally up for interpretation and up for debate. You know, would that movement be stronger with a centralized leader? We don't know, but right now, these are the sort of child of the reactions to that tragedy and to the background of that tragedy, which is a history of unrest and racial injustice in the United States that has continued since the civil rights movement in many ways. Um, and so while we may not have figures like Martin Luther King Jr. or uh, Malcolm X at this moment in time that we think of that way, that doesn't mean that it won't happen and that doesn't mean that those people don't exist and aren't working for the cause right now and you know 40 years from now we won't be watching movies about them phil 
when we have talked in the past, one of the, the some of the discussions we had were uh, around the idea of identity, uh, how you identify yourself. <clears throat> and as veterans, we have a tendency to identify ourselves first and foremost as veterans. Uh, what we're seeing today is a lot more, I am a black veteran, I am a Latino veteran. Uh, very few people will ever come forward and say, I'm a white veteran. And that dichotomy has become part of the conversation. Uh, is it okay to call yourself a white veteran if other people are calling themselves black veterans? But this kind of comes back down to how the word veteran has become part of the political rhetoric, has become part of this, this idea that veterans shouldn't be BLM, they should not believe in BLM, or they should always protect the police, that a veteran has to fall somewhere on this political spectrum. Uh, should we? Do we fall on a political spectrum as veterans? Uh, hell no. No, we're as individual as, you know, the nose on our face, man. Um, we, we are a multifaceted group that, that is the product of all of our environments. And I don't think we should be compartmentalized, whether it's politically or socially or musically. I mean, could you imagine that? You're a veteran. You have to like marching band music. What? Like, that sucks. I don't want to hear John Philip Sousa and a tuba. I want to hear Hendrix rip it up. I mean, we got to start accepting the fact that it's okay to be different and it's okay to be in a compartment and it's okay to be a black guy and a white guy and a Hispanic guy and an Abby and a Phil and a, you identify as a squirrel, I don't care. We got to be okay with that. We have to be okay with our differences. And I think to the earlier point, that's one of the, I think it's one of the problems. It's not that we lack a leader. It's that this whole movement lacks an outcome. Racism, get rid of it. Get rid of assholes. I don't know if I can say that on this show, but I well, mean- Well, you just did. We're good. Okay, cool. Um, get rid of people that think the wrong way. And that's a much longer game than just let's make a law. You have to get rid of a kind of thinking. And it's going to come with a lot of baby steps. It's going to come with Juneteenth being recognized. It's going to come with a lot of different things that mean a lot of different things to different people. But I just caught hell this week from a guy on the Twitter feed saying, I don't like your interview because one black guy doesn't speak for all of us. And I was like, I just tweeted it out because I liked what he spoke with me. I liked my interview with Ray Lott, the Marine rapper. You can hear the whole thing at connectingvets.com right there in the podcast section. Um, I put that out there and he came back at me like, well, you, he doesn't speak for all of us. I'm like, dude, first of all, we but can't, nobody does. Disagree. Like, nobody we can't does. disagree yeah. from Jump Street just because I'm having a conversation, bro. And but I think, I think that, that that's, that's interesting because that, that's interesting because I, and, and I'm going to cut you off there just for a moment there because okay. I think that what we find in the veteran community is that, uh, people in the veteran community have a tendency to stand up and say, I speak for veterans. I speak for what we believe as veterans. And we believe that you should not be able to desecrate the flag and you should not uh, be against the police and you should not uh, feel this way about, uh, you know, gays or transgenders. This is what we believe in. I, I, I think that, that that gentleman's point, yes, you did talk to one, one black guy uh, and he does not represent all black folks, but in that same respect, I think a lot of veterans kind of miss the point that we're, we're, we might be misrepresented 
in some ways. Do you ever feel like, like veterans are being misrepresented by the more vocal veterans in the same way that blacks and whites might be represented in a different way due to the more vocal folks? Uh, Abby, oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think it's an easy group to pick up and try to speak for. I mean, White House Press Secretary just said something about renaming a basis can't happen because that's the last place a veteran saw, and that's the last piece of America he saw, and he holds that holy in his heart. I left Norfolk Naval Base, and I didn't care. I didn't hold Norfolk holy in my heart. Um, Does you know, anybody it, hold Fort Polk holy in their hearts? I want to yeah, know. I, mean, I want to know if somebody listening to this holds Fort Polk holy in their heart. I want you to reach out to me and I will do a story about why you feel that way. I mean it. I will do it tomorrow. <laughs> well, I've been curious about that. Like, you know, we, we've, we've talked about tearing down the names of these military bases. Uh, Fort Bragg is on that list and Fort Bragg is historic. It is, uh, it's a name that we associate with the Airborne, the Special Operations. Uh, it is a cornerstone of the, of the Army body as a whole. Who the hell was General Bragg? I, mean, I didn't murdered American soldiers. I, I, I don't know who he was. And I feel like maybe the argument here is, uh, and to your point, Phil, earlier, you said, you know, we're reactive. We're just doing, we're just like, ah, I'm angry because this is a Confederate guy and the Confederate was, Confederacy was bad because they supported slavery. I'm not going to argue that the Confederate movement was good in any way. I, I think that it definitely wasn't a movement I would have got behind. Uh, but when you name a base, and this is the thing, we are all more than our service. I am more than my you know, 18 years of service. Uh, I know soldiers that were thrown out of the army. Article 15s, they got thrown out. That wasn't their whole life. That was four years of their life. They got their stuff turned around. They're fixed. They fixed their lives up great. And now they're living these amazing, they're, they're model citizens, they're community activists, they're leaders. Uh, I don't know who Bragg was. I don't know who Polk was. I don't know what these guys did. Uh, were, did are, are they named for the base? Are they, did they name the base after them? Because after they left the Confederate Army, uh, the guy saved like 30 orphans from a burning building. I don't know because maybe we're not looking at why did they name the base after this dude. I don't, I, and I, I really want to give whoever names bases or whatever committee names bases, I want to give them the shred of a doubt. I want to give them that little piece that says, you didn't do it to stick it to black people. You didn't do it to stand up for slavery. Maybe you had a reason you thought validated why we should name this base after a Confederate general. Yeah, I mean, there's that. And that's a very nice way to look at it. That's almost kind of given the benefit of the doubt. But to me, there's also the element of like, who cares at this point? I don't really care what my base is named after. To my original point, you know, when I left Norfolk Naval, I didn't miss the base. I missed a girl. I missed that cold beer at Warhol Brothers. I missed surfing at 17th Street Pier. I missed another girl. And Another good, anyways, uh, there was a lot of that going on. That's really what I cared about it. I mean, I think, I think that's where a lot of vets are coming from is, you know, first of all, a lot of them don't know who the bases are named after. I mean, I can tell you right now that I lived 
at Bragg or right outside of it for many, many years. I still have family there. And I didn't know until just a few years ago who Bragg was. But along with that comes, okay, so if you didn't know or you don't care, which is totally valid, then would it be so bad that for the people who do care, for the people who maybe, you know, it hurts to be stationed and have memories at a base named for someone who maybe didn't ever want them to serve in the military because of what they look like, would it really hurt to rename that base for, you know, a Medal of Honor winner or someone that, you know, we all feel like we could universally, you know, get behind versus somebody who's really polarizing? You know, there are lots of different arguments to this, but I've definitely seen that one. You know, so many vets have told me, have, you know, been really outspoken online that they don't care and that they didn't like being co-opted by the press secretary and made to look like they're the ones who really care and they're the ones who are so invested in keeping these names. That doesn't mean that there aren't vets who are invested in keeping those names because there absolutely are. And they have their own reasons and arguments and those are just as valid to hear and listen to and you know debate about as well. But I think that's part of where some people are coming from is okay, well, if the vets don't care, if the soldiers don't give a shit, sorry, Rod, then why, why not change them to something else? Something, first of all, that could be cooler. Frankly, we've got Medal of Honor winners who have way more badass stories than Bragg did. Frankly, look Bragg up especially. He was kind of a, he was kind of a loser. He didn't, he didn't win very much. He's not a big winner. Um, He's a loser. We've got got people all throughout American history who have way cooler stories, who are still historically significant, who we could name them after. And yeah, am I used to that base being brag? Sure. Am I probably always going to think of it that way? Maybe. Would it hurt me if they changed it? No. And I grew up there. So, you know, if if a place that I kind of think of as my hometown is renamed and I don't feel bad about it, you know, I guarantee you that, you know, the 18, 20 year olds coming out of there aren't going to feel that bad about it either. You know, I don't want to speak for anybody, but don't I speak for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, and I won't because there are some people who are attached to it who do feel like it's really historically significant and important and that's fine. But, you know, I think it's, it's definitely a conversation to have. And especially if, military leaders now in the service are saying and shoot we're open to talking about it let's have that conversation let's think about it why the hell not they're the ones who have to be there and operate out of those bases and yeah they're the ones who that's their last glimpse of american soil (laughs) i I think that part of that the discussion the argument about renaming these bases is the idea that we're being forced into it that we're being pressured into it by a civilian faction, a civilian movement uh, that a lot of veterans may not understand. I still hear all lives matter. Why is it just black lives matter? All lives matter. Um, I've had to explain why black lives matter to a couple of my, my friends on Facebook that it's not about only black lives. It's all lives do matter, except the fact that some folks don't think everyone's life matters the same. And that's why we're using Black Lives Matter. It's kind of an umbrella concept. We don't like to be pushed. You know, you, you, baby doesn't like, we, we don't push baby in a corner kind of thing. 
Uh, and it, I think that a lot of veterans feel like that's what, what's happening. Like you're forcing us to have this conversation. We should be having this conversation on our own. This is an internal issue between the, the, the veterans, the, the military itself. Phil, as a veteran, is this a discussion that we should be having now? Or should we be having this discussion later when it's not, when we don't have this feeling of like, we're being forced into it? And I'll, and I'll preface yeah. it with this. If we're, if we're forced into the conversation, is it a genuine conversation at that point? Yeah, a, a lot like my dating life, uh, there is really no good time to get uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, we need to get uncomfortable. And I don't care whether it's a good time or a bad time. We are and frankly have been pushed into having this conversation now. And I think because it is at the forefront and, 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 and we can't let this just die out like, you know, some fad or some trend. Um, look, it's clear America wants to get really uncomfortable here. So let's do it. And I think in doing so, going back to what I read that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote, in doing so, maybe, just maybe, that renaming some of these things is one little piece of dust in the air we get rid of. And maybe renaming it something cooler is another little piece of dust we get rid of that makes somebody else happy. And maybe naming it for somebody else that someone else really cares about makes them happy. So maybe we should really do this and consider it all just little pieces of a bigger puzzle that we're putting together and systematically checking off sources of friction. And I'll also add that um, we can think some really cool base names and keeping with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, why not go for like sports analogies, you know, Fort Raider, Fort Badass, Fort Ass Kicker, uh, you know, Fort Charger, Fort, uh, all kinds of cool names we could come up with. And sports names, you know, when you got a good brand, you got a good brand. And I may have actually liked more of my time at Norfolk Naval if it had a cooler name. <laughs> well, I, I really like that you brought up being pushed into things, Rod, because I think that, Phil, you're absolutely right. You know, if the country's ready to have difficult conversations, it's time, um, especially if we can get lots of folks on board. But I think it's also important to remember that because the military is not supposed to be politicized, uh, not that that stops anyone. Um, I think that there's a lot of voices that we don't always hear. For example, you know, if you're in the military right now, you know, if you're enlisted, especially, um, and you are a black vet, for example, if you feel really strongly about Black Lives Matter, or which I imagine you do, um, or any of the things happening right now, you don't feel empowered to speak up. So while the military community may sometimes, and the vet community may sometimes look like they're being pushed into conversations, if there were people in that community who wanted to have those conversations, they might not feel like they're allowed to say they wanna have those conversations. They may not always feel empowered to do that because as we all know, any kind of thing like that, especially when you're enlisted, could really put your career at risk. And, you know, it's not the same for vets. Obviously, vets can speak up as, as much as they would like. But I think there's also a cultural pressure. You know, America looks and thinks about veterans in a certain way. And I think that that's work that 
we at Connecting Vets are, are trying to do to sort of dispel that. Vets don't look like one certain person. They don't listen to one type of music. They don't have one type of background and they don't have one type of politics. And so, you know, when we feel like as a group, they're being forced into a conversation, <clears throat> that may not be wholly true. You know, there may be a lot of folks who feel like it is time. And the military also has a, has a long history of being pushed into change. You know, we're, we are all very familiar with the military being one of the first things in America to be truly integrated. That didn't happen out of the goodness of commander's heart, I assure you. You know, that was something that the military was pushed into because people felt it was time. The same with women serving in the military, the same with don't ask, don't tell. Those are not things that necessarily came about organically. Those were things that were pushed through. And yes, they happened. And the military served as this agent of an example of social change, that it can happen, that it can work. It's not perfect. Those years of integration were not the happy situation that I think a lot of our history like to portray them. But at the same time, I think, you know, it feels like we're immediately being pushed into things like changing base names and taking down statues. You know, some of those things are immediate. Taking down statues is happening right now. But I can assure you, at the federal government, I'm, I work in Capitol Hill all the time. I cover Congress members. That will not be a quick change. Nothing about changing base names will be quick. This will be a task force that will be set up to make recommendations. They will have at least a year to do it, and then you'll have probably three more years while they think about it. So this is not a quick thing that, you know, we're going to turn around and Fort Bragg is going to become Fort Charger. <laughs> you know, that's going to be something that takes a lot of time, um, and people will have opportunities to be heard about that. And so I really encourage people, if that's the route the federal government decides to go, Try to be heard. Find out ways that you can talk about how you feel about that. A good friend of mine put up a picture of uh, he was going back to the gym after all this COVID stuff. And he says, hey, uh, if you're going to the gym now, uh, start practicing new gym habits, uh, one of which don't wear a wife beater to the gym because it looks terrible, it's not sanitary, and you're going to smell like an old falafel. And I wrote back, I said, first of all, uh, don't politicize my wife beater. I wear my wife beater and I call it a wife beater because I want to remember the time when it was legal to beat my wife and now it's not. And I wear my wife beater and I call it a wife beater as a historic symbolism, historic symbol that you shouldn't beat your wife. And that's why I wear my wife beater proudly in the gym. Also, it's on so you. I'm very progressive. Also, it's on you to protect yourself from my unsanitary butt. Um, that's not my fault. Hey, hey listen, if I'm going to go to the gym and be disgusting, that's on you to wear a long sleeve shirt. I'm American. I get to wear whatever I want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be gross. So don't tell me to wear a mask and don't tell me to wear my, uh, not wear my wife beater because I do what I want when I want how I want. Folks, <laughs> I'm Rod Rodriguez. That was Abby Bennett. Phil. Briggs. You know what? I wanted to call you Phil Phillips for a moment. 
because I feel like you're 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 my spirit right. animal with Phil Phillips, hundred uh, percent. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gents, that was Abby Bennett and Phil Briggs from Connecting Vets. Abby, how can we get hold of you? I am always, always, always on Twitter, even when I shouldn't be, and that is at Abby A B B I E. The letter R is in red. Bennett B E N N E T T. Mr. Briggs. Uh, you can hear me every weekend around the country on CBS News Affiliates. Uh, I host CBS Eye on Veterans. Um, you can always find that show at our website, connectingvets.com. And uh, real quick plug, uh, we are continuing our talk about race in America this weekend and going to interview um, an NYPD cop, a career NYPD police sergeant. Uh, he wrote the book, Brooklyn to Baghdad. And... He served in NYPD, then he actually served and deployed with special forces or special operations over in Iraq, hunting the guys who were deadly and lethal with those EFPs. Um, he sounded off about racism from the law enforcement perspective, and we got uncomfortable, like the nature of our conversation here. We got really uncomfortable and talked about, um, you know, are cops racist? Is it woven into the fabric of law enforcement? Are there instances that he's witnessed in the NYPD that he says were wrong? Um, he gets real with me and the answers are really surprising. It's not what you'd expect. And uh, it was really satisfying to talk to him. We also talked to Abby about why Jon Stewart is now speaking up again on veterans' behalfs. And uh, if you don't find it at ConnectingVets.com, you can always follow me on Twitter at Phil Briggs Vet. And uh, yes, some of those tweets are from the bathroom. Folks, Connecting Vets, we are not your average veteran show we are not your average veteran website we are uh here for you we want to interact with you leave us some comments tell us what you think do you agree with us do you agree with phil do you think phil is full of it um and if you honestly hold a a base name in your heart as holy uh tweet abby bennett and let her know and she's serious she's 100 percent uh, she will write that story with you, uh, get your point out there, get your view out there. Thank you so much for supporting us. And uh, before we go, do you know who PFC Vanessa Guillen is? If you don't, then you need to. Uh, she is a Fort Hood soldier. She has been missing. Her family wants her home. Uh, if you have any information, call 254-287-2722 or 254-288-1170. Any information, will help get this soldier home. Uh, this is a, a, a complete tragedy and uh, we wish her family the best. All right, that does it for us, folks. We'll see you at the next episode of The Back Brief. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.